Hi again. Thanks for joining me. This is Gary Zacharias. This is the Apologist Bookshelf. I want to take another look at Reinventing Jesus by Kamashevsky, Sawyer, and Wallace. How about I spell Sawyer and Wallace for you, but Kamashevsky, wow. Anyway, uh, Reinventing Jesus, it's a look at uh, what contemporary skeptics are doing to the real Jesus and how they mislead popular culture. So I want to do um, chapter four in this book, a hugely important chapter, Can We Trust the New Testament? So they're talking about the, what they subtitle this as the quantity and quality of textual variants. Now what's he talking about here? Well, look at the subheading and then look at what Robert Funk, who is part of the Jesus Seminar, here's what Funk said. Even careful copyists make mistakes, as every proofreader knows. So we will never be able to claim certain knowledge of exactly what the original text of any biblical writing was. Now that's that's kind of scary. Sounds pretty shaky, doesn't it? Gee, we really can't know what Jesus said or what happened at that time period. And so they bring out, they say, of course, we don't have the original copies of the New Testament. Now, they may be somewhere, but we don't have them yet. And so the question is, well, what if the copies that we have, since we don't have the originals, what if the copies were corrupted? And what if they were copied so poorly that we can't possibly recover what the originals said? Wow, are, are we just winging it? So they said, basically, the, the key question is, is what we have now what they wrote then? So they, they wanted to let us know in this chapter something, uh, the discipline called textual criticism. And that's really important. So what is textual criticism? It's just studying copies of written documents where you don't have the original to find out, well, what do you suppose the original actually said? So they said, we need to do textual criticism when it comes to the New Testament because the original documents, as I just said, they don't exist. And then here's the part where a lot of people get pretty shaky in their faith. No two copies agree completely. Oh, wow. So they back up and they say, all right, well, what are we talking about here? Let's talk about the quantity and quality of, of differences that we see. So the Greek New Testament has about 138,000 words. And there are thousands upon thousands of textual variants. Now, what is a variant? That's any place among these manuscripts where there's not uniformity of reading and wording. So the best estimate is that they're between, catch this, 300,000 to 400,000 textual variants. So in other words, you're reading one and it says, to God be the glory, and the other one says, give God the glory. I mean, do you see that's, there's a difference between those two. It basically says the same thing, but there's a difference. So those are called variants. All right, and they said there's something nearly a half a million variants among the manuscripts. They said that means on average, for every word in the Greek New Testament, there are at least two variants. Well, that's discouraging. If that's what you hear, you go, oh, my land, how would you ever figure this out? So they said, all right, um, so with this many textual variants, it makes you wonder, well, how, how would you ever begin to figure anything out? They said, well, let's take a look at the variants. Let's just see what those variants are. And they're going to break them into four categories. One is spelling differences and nonsense errors. Number two, 
What other differences do we see? Minor differences. They don't affect translation, and they don't. Uh, they may involve synonyms. Number three, differences that affect the meaning but are not viable. I'll get to the, what they mean by that in a minute. And number four, differences that do affect the meaning and they are viable. So do you see what they're going to do? Is they're going to move from the least important to the most important. So number one, what are some textual variants? Well, out of these hundreds of thousands, nearly half a million, the majority are spelling differences. That's it. They don't have any, any uh, impact on the meaning of the text. So they give you an example. In John, uh, I'm sorry, for the word John, you can spell it in Greek two different ways, either with one N or two Ns. And it doesn't make any difference. So you look at that and you go, oh, I'm not worried about that. Well, no, we shouldn't be. And yet people like Bart Ehrman and the Jesus Seminar and others that want to shake people's faith will say, oh, we have hundreds of thousands of variants. They're all so different. Yeah, but the majority, the differences don't matter at all. It's just not even anything to worry about. All right, let's go to number two. So number one, there were spelling differences. Number two, differences that don't affect translation or maybe they involve synonyms. Well, what does that mean? Well, let, let's, uh, let's do this. Sometimes when they're doing a proper name, the Greek will put a the in there. So you'll see of Mary or the Mary in the New Testament, Jesus or the Jesus, Paul or the Paul. That doesn't make any difference at all, does it? So, for example, Luke 2.16, if it says, So they hurried off and located Mary and Joseph and found the baby lying in a manger. Well, the text is really saying, So they hurried off and located the Mary and the Joseph. Not a big deal at all. Here's something else you get that's part of differences that don't affect translation. That's transposition. So Greek, the Greek language, for example, is way more dependent than English on um, the inflection of the words rather than word order. So what are we talking about? Well, in English, the word order is very important. If you say, she kissed him, she's the one that's doing the kissing. If you flip it around and say, he kissed her, it's a little different, right? He's the one that's doing the action. So in English, it's where the word is in the sentence that's important, but not in Greek. In Greek, they, they'll put prefixes or suffixes on nouns and verbs, and that makes it an inflected language. So in other words, you could say something like, God loves Paul, <clears throat> but you could move that around and have Paul loves God, but it still would be saying God loves Paul because of the endings of the words, or Paul God loves, or loves Paul God. They'll all mean the same thing. God loves Paul because of the way that you've structured the beginning or the end of the word. So as long as God is the subject and Paul is not, then all of those variations would mean God loves Paul. So yeah, you'll see differences that way, but that doesn't change the meaning of the sentence, does it? No. Okay, let's go to a third problem, these variants. Meaningful variants. There really are differences of ideas, but they're not viable. What does that mean? Well, they're manuscripts that don't go back to the original text. They don't go back far enough. They can't trace them back. So I won't spend a lot of time on that, but I think that makes sense. Now, there are there is a fourth category, and this is the one, meaningful and viable variants. And they said this is the smallest category of them all, but it consists of 
<clears throat> meanings uh, that, that are different. They said maybe 1% of all the variants fit into this category. So I said, why would you be super skeptical of the entire New Testament because we can't be certain about a very small portion of the text? They said that's an overstatement. But that's what a lot of these people like the Jesus Seminar and Bart Ehrman, people like that, would have you believe. So here's a problem here, just to see what they look like. Take a look at Romans 5.1. See what your Bible says. Is Paul saying here, we have peace, or is that verse saying, let us have peace? So they said there's just one letter that's different as you're writing it out in Greek. But the point here is this. It, does that contradict, contradict the teaching of Scripture? Okay, we have peace, or let us have peace. Does that say anything about Jesus did not really die on the cross? No. Does it, does it say in there somehow that Jesus said, I'm not the Messiah? No. This is a very, very small difference. So not a big deal at all. Here's another one. 1 Thessalonians 2.7. Paul describes himself and his colleagues either as gentle or little children. It's just one letter difference. So is that a big deal? No, not at all. So that those we don't really have to worry about. Um, let me see what else he's talking about here. How about this one? Here's a, a last example, they said, of meaningful and viable variants. He said, here's the largest textual variant in the New Testament. Now, let me stop here at this point. You might know this. All your Bibles will indicate this. Do you remember where it has a little footnote to say, this part is probably not in the original. It seems to have been added later. Any thoughts on that one? It's the last chapter of Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. The earliest and the best manuscripts in the book at verse 8. And here it is. Then they went out and ran from the tomb, for terror and bewilderment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Wow, that's the end uh, for, for the best manuscripts. And that seems pretty abrupt, doesn't it? The women have been told, who are afraid, they've been told by the angel that Jesus has risen and they're supposed to announce it to the disciples. Now, a lot of manuscripts have about 12 more verses after this, but the earliest and the best manuscripts stop right there. So you can take a look yourself, the end of Mark. They call it the long end of Mark. And as these uh, three authors point out, scholars have debated is that really where Mark wanted to end his gospel? Or has his real ending been lost? Uh, what's going on here? Or were the 12 verses found in the majority of the manuscripts, were they the original ending to the gospel? So they said, they just wanted to point out in this book, whether those verses are authentic or not, here's the key part. No fundamental truth is gained or lost by them. So in other words, if you were to toss those final 12 verses, is that going to change anything? Did those 12 verses say Jesus was not the Messiah? Did those 12 verses say he never rose from the dead? No, they don't say that at all. So they said, this textual variant does not affect any cardinal doctrine. Okay, so that's really key. So it said, uh, there are a lot of textual variants, a lot of differences in the manuscripts of the New Testament, but the quality says it's just very different. Only 1% of all of these variations are both meaningful and viable. And they don't affect foundational beliefs. I want to come back to that again and again. They do not affect key beliefs. So I'll end at that point. So can we trust the New Testament? Yeah. 
Um, do they have a lot of differences in the manuscripts? Yes. But thanks to people like Dan Wallace, he's really uh, been involved in this in a long time as a textual critic. We can, with very good uh, beliefs, we can come back to probably what the original manuscripts of the New Testament said. So I would suggest sometime, if you can, do a YouTube search of Dan Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E, Dan Wallace. He's a lot of fun to listen to. I've uh, listened to several of his uh, talks. He's a fun guy, but boy, does he know his material. He's done a lot of debates with Bart Ehrman, and uh, they seem to like each other, and it's not an angry confrontation. But Dan Wallace, as a good critic, will tell you you do not have to worry about what we have now is it close to what was written originally and have they foisted some kind of different Jesus on us with these manuscripts? Did somebody pencil in ideas about Jesus being the Messiah or being God or rising from the dead? No, no, no. The original manuscripts are, are so close to each other, uh, we can't trust them. All right, well, thanks, and we'll do another podcast soon.